Mama is treating me to breakfast. Yep, let me see your phone. Huh? Look here, I download this McDonald's app because when you buy any bagel sandwich like the steak, egg, and cheese bagel, you get one free. Wait, you just bought that on my phone. That's right. Now that you got McDonald's money, you could treat Mama. <laughs> okay, Ma, you got it. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Valid through 10-222 at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. App download and registration required. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Fantasy Football Addicts Podcast. As always, my name is Mung. Hey, guys, it's Thelos. Uh, welcome back to another exciting edition. Uh, preseason's underway. Football's being played. Yeah, I can't, uh, can't wait for the, pre- or the actual season. I was about to swear there. Uh, that's how excited I am. So, oh, oh, yeah. All right, calm down there, Ric Flair. Wow. All right, so we are through week one of the preseason and things are ramping up. But uh, first and foremost, we wanted to let all of you listeners know that we now have a website where you can physically see our rankings instead of just hear us uh, blabber on about them. Yeah, so, diversification, baby, if I could say it. Uh, is that a real word? Diversification. Yes, it's a word. Oh, okay. So you just it's what you're supposed it. to do with your profile and your investments. <laughs> uh, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. All right, well, let's stick to fantasy football here. And uh, as I was saying before, Loso so rudely interrupted me. You can find our rankings at fantasyfootballaddicts.weebly.com. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y. Nothing fancy, but that's where you can find our rankings. PPR, of course. Los, anything to add? No, I don't want to be rude. (laughs) I see what you did there. All right. So today we're going to talk a few sleepers that Los and I have been targeting in our drafts. But uh, first off... Apparently, Los and I disagree on our definition of the term sleeper. Los? Yeah. <laughs> I see that I, this episode is going swimmingly. Um, all right. So I think that a sleeper can be anybody who is currently going uh, at an ADP that you think is too low. Whereas Los thinks, uh, you know, it's people that not many out there are talking about. Right, yeah. So, so, like, being overvalued is being, or being undervalued is being undervalued. They're still being taken. They're still being looked at heavily by everybody in the draft. Everybody's got them in their queue. Everybody's waiting to take them. It's just a matter of who's taking them, you know, at pick 15 and who's taking them at pick 22. A sleeper is somebody that is undrafted that you're putting on your team because you, everybody else is sleeping on them. That's fair. I guess I, I mix the terms undervalued and sleeper pretty frequently, and, and I kind of lump them together in one category just because, generally speaking, someone who's undrafted that not many people may be aware of is also, you know, in the same vein, someone who is being undervalued. Um, I, I guess t- it, it's all relative in terms of how undervalued someone is and at what point you know, you reach that threshold where Los defines them as a sleeper, whereas I kind of, you know, interchange those terms. Yeah, so we're basically going to be talking both about a, a couple guys that we think are undervalued and a couple of what I like to call lottery tickets, where, you know, you're throwing a dollar down that you could you could lose that dollar. It could go away. You'll never see it again. Or you could win the Powerball. 
Yeah, and before we uh, go into specific players, I just want to say that in the back end of your drafts, you should not be drafting guys who might be a bi-week villain. You can wait to, you know, grab those guys in week four or week five. You should be, you know, swinging for upside. Absolutely. There, there's no such thing as a bi-week villain when, uh, when your first, first overall pick goes down anyways. Then, you, then you've got 15 bi-weeks to fill. Yeah, I, I worry about my bi-weeks the week before. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe yeah, I, I tend to try and go two weeks before um, if, if it's a possible hot ticket player, just, just to avoid, you know, taking a big hit to my fab budget. Okay, that's fair. I think, uh, you know, certainly if you're in, uh, you know, very competitive leagues where you know a lot of guys are going to be on by in the same week, you might want to pre-plan. But I guess for me, generally speaking, uh, I try to draft well enough where, whoever I'm picking up at, you know, on that bye week, either one is someone that I'm only going to need for that one week. So I'm willing to take a hit on production if I, if I need to, or two, I'm already playing certain positions uh, in a committee approach anyway. So I'm already sort of rotating them in and out week to week. Yep. Can't argue there. All right. So why don't uh, you kick it off with your first uh, sleeper or slash undervalued player here? All right. I don't think anybody is surprised by this one as, as we might as well start at the top of the page at quarterback. Um, for me, that's going to be uh, Captain Kirk Cousins. I like that. All the jokes. Yes, of course. Um, he's he's got he's right now going uh, at number 14 of quarterback. For me, he's top 10. He's a definite starter. He's he's a must play. He's got weapons on top of weapons on top of weapons. Uh, they just drafted more of the Josh Jackson, who I'm not expecting to be a factor early in the season. Um, he needs to learn his way in the NFL. Plus he's a little hobbled right now. So Jamison Crowder should hold, hold the fort right there for a bit. Deshaun Jackson, always horribly undervalued, very good, uh, option on the outside. Pierre Garcon is probably going to be the first to drop off of this team, but weapons on weapons. Um, Jordan Reed speaks for himself. Everybody knows that he's phenomenal and they have nothing but questions going on at quarterback or I'm sorry, at running back. Matt Jones doesn't really impress me all that much. Granted, of course, he's only a second year player, uh, but I think Chris Thompson's going to get a few good looks catching the ball out of the backfield. And that's just going to add money to his value. Sure, and I certainly like Cousins as well. I don't, uh, I don't think I have him quite as high as you, but I do have Cousins as my QB twelve, so a low end QB one uh, in twelve team leagues. And personally, for me, I think the only reason, or the only two reasons, I guess, uh, to really be cautious on Cousins is number one, uh, they their offensive line has been struggling. We saw that in the first preseason game. They're still, you know, trying to get things together. And number two, they did massively improve their defense over the offseason. Um, that, you know, those are little nitpicky things, but really after that first top tier of quarterbacks, it really comes down to preference and little things. So I could totally see Cousins as high, you know, as seven or eight, if you really loved him. Um, and, and the one other thing, you know, I have that defends Kirk Cousins for those saying that, you know, look at Nick Foles who crashed and burned the next year after finishing a strong season. Uh, I do believe in Sean McVay, Washington's uh, current offensive coordinator who's bounced around the league a little bit but you know he's a guy who's learned under John Gruden and you know who's actually garnered uh, a lot of um, a lot a sort of a reputation of being uh, almost a John Gruden junior the amount of time that he spends watching film and developing you know new plays 
So I, I think that as long as Cousins can follow the offensive scheme, I, I think he's a great value at where he's currently going. I, I love it. I just, as a matter of fact, acquired him in my other dynasty league. So I'm all in. Oh yeah. Uh, just real quick. What, uh, what did that cost you? Oh, actually somebody dropped him straight to free agency. I, I don't, I, I don't know what happened. I didn't ask questions. I, I swiped him up and, uh, pressed on forward all right well that uh, that's pretty good for you yeah uh, I, w- I was shocked well here's my here's my uh, quarterback sleeper quote unquote i guess uh, who i think is gonna do better than kirk cousins and that's eli manning who i have as my quarterback number seven um and here's the thing about eli he, last year he finished as the number 10 fantasy quarterback and that was with odell beckham jr missing a game due to suspension after he got into that fight Uh, And, you know, this is also with losing Larry Donnell midway through the season, having that transition at tight end, uh, and with uh, Ruben Randall as his wide receiver, too, who I would like to remind you all is not very good. And now Eli Manning has Odell Beckham. He's got Sterling Shepard, who arguably, even as a rookie, is a massive upgrade over Randall. And then I really like Will Ty. And then we've been hearing reports out of camp that uh, Rashad Jennings is going to be Uh, the starter, quote-unquote, at running back, and that they're trying to move away from that committee approach that they kind of used last year. So I think that Giants offense in general uh, is going to be pretty good, and I really think that we're going to see good Eli this year as opposed to the bad. I I think he's a low-end quarterback one, and he's actually got top five upside in my book. See, I think you're you're misinterpreting sleeper again. We don't actually mean guys that look like they're, they're standing there asleep. Wow, somebody really hates Eli Manning, huh? Lights on, nobody's home. What what, what are you going to tell me next that he didn't deserve those two Super Bowl rings? Oh no, there's he he did his job. He let the defense do their thing and he got out of the way, just like just like uh, Brock Osweiler last year and he parlayed that into quite a bit of money for himself. <laughs> well, you know what? We can we can argue on Eli's uh actual oh, yeah, NFL no, no. talent. I'm, I'm not arguing on on Eli. I, I think I think he's he's a good value quarterback. I've got him at about 10. All right. I mean, I certainly won't argue with that. Yep. All right. Who you got next? Um next I'm going to move out of the quarterback discussion on to running backs if if you'll if that's okay with you. Yeah. Okay, first guy I have is of course not a classic sleeper by any stretch of the imagination, but but neither is yours really. Uh, Mark Ingram, um, he's going uh, at about nine ten running back. Uh, I, I think I touched on this in our first episode, um, especially in a PPR. I think just with his massive upside, I think he, he's my running back four. Um, I have him pressing into my running back three. And I, I think he's actually my running back three if I were to re-rank things now because I have Tevin Coleman bumping up a little bit and Devontae Freeman was uh, at my three and I do have him coming slightly down. Um, Ingram has huge recep- receiving upside. He's always overlooked for that. Every year he's been in the league, he's increased his reception numbers. Um, he you know, he doesn't, just looking at him and the way he stands in the backfield, you, you don't get the impression that he's a good uh, receiving running back, but but he is very good. Um, he's the man to get the ball at the goal line. He's in a great offense that will get downfield very early, very often. Um, just with all those right receivers making plays, he's going to have opportunities to score touchdowns. And then when they get up on touchdowns, he will stay in when they're running the ball, trying to end the game. Yeah, I I really don't have a whole lot to add there. You and I agree on Mark Ingram's value this year. I also have him as my running back number four. 
in my rankings. Um, and we've already seen just in that first preseason game that they're willing to run it with Ingram at the goal line. And yeah. I, uh, he's got he's, huge uh, touchdowns. He, he still makes me sort of just shake my head every time he powers through for like a three yard gain and then rolls the ball downfield and, you know, starts chirping at everyone. I, I wish he would just get back to the line of scrimmage, but you know, that that's not, that's not what fantasy football is about. Yeah. And I will say the one other thing that sort of, uh, you know, bumps up running backs in, in my rankings, at least is when they have a clear handcuff um, mm-hmm. and Ingram certainly does with Tim Hightower. Yeah, absolutely. Makes it easier to, to prepare for any problems. All right, um, so I want to talk about a running back here that's on my sleeper list. Uh, and again, maybe uh, mostly just undervalued more than sleeper. But I think that Latavius Murray at running back uh, 18 in my rankings is being hugely undervalued by uh, the vast majority of, of people playing right now. And first off, I'm going to go on record. And I, I like DeAndre Washington. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Josh Ferguson with a little D'Angelo Williams mixed in, certainly has upside. Um, and Washington definitely is a dynamic receiving back. However, I feel like a lot of people out there are kind of pounding nails into Latavius Murray's coffin already. And I I really don't know why. Um, you know, this is a guy who sure he runs a little upright, but he had over a thousand rushing yards last year, and six touchdowns. And he proved that he can be more than a capable receiver. Um, there, there are reports that DeAndre Washington is still even behind Taiwan Jones sometimes due to mistakes made and pass protection, and the Raiders definitely want to protect their you know, young quarterback investment, Derek Carr. Uh, Oakland's got a strong offensive line. Murray should see plenty of holes, and he's got the finishing speed to be gone once he's through. You know, we, we saw that with that breakout game against Kansas City a couple years ago. So really, the Raiders have you know sneakily built up a really good offense and a very talented young defense the last few years, led by Khalil Mack. And I can totally see them pounding Latavius Murray to run out the clock in you know certain games. And Murray's an investment with you know a relatively early ADP in the fourth round, but I think he's worth it there. I think he should actually be going earlier. And I don't think that Washington is threatening nearly as many touches as you know people are making it seem. Yeah, just just to back up your point, I know we're doing a lot of agreeing this uh, this episode somehow. Um, wildly overlooked statistic because people all think about this Oakland pass attack that was potent last year and can't take that away from it. It absolutely was. Latavius Murray carried the ball the third most of any running back in the NFL last year. Wow, I actually did not know that. Yep, two hundred and sixty six carries. Yeah, I, I mean, he's certainly, you know, had injuries in the past, but uh, no more injury prone than any other running back who's receiving a big workload like that. Yep, absolutely. Just some that's that's a, here's an example of some uh, pre-draft talk or not pre-draft talk, but uh, some off-season talk of some hype of DeAndre Washington uh, trying to get wanting to get him in there to, to catch some footballs and whatnot. I, I mean, they've leaned on Murray and I don't think anybody's realized that. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, since you're agreeing, we don't have to uh, keep talking about Murray too much. But, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people really high on Derek Carr this year. And if you're uh, if you're high on Derek Carr, you should be high on Latavius Murray. They go hand in hand. Absolutely. All right. Speaking of, uh, uh, of a player that nobody seems to be high on uh, right now, this I mean, it, it's crazy to say, but he he might be a sleeper at this point. Chris Johnson is going at running back 50 right now. I, I just, 
I don't see how he's going away that easily. He's he's a money handcuff for David Johnson, and I'm not necessarily certain that David Johnson is going to run away with this starting job, if you'll pardon the pun. He will be the starter, but they're definitely going to be splitting carries. I don't know if this is a more problem of overvaluing the, the sophomore David Johnson or undervaluing Chris Johnson. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, uh, I, I certainly see your viewpoints. I actually have David Johnson a lot lower in my running back rankings than a lot of people do, and part of the reason is because I do think that, you know, Bruce Arians has toyed with us before with his coach speak about, you know, running Andre Ellington into the ground a couple of years ago. That certainly didn't happen. And Well, uh, maybe actually he did run him into the ground. <laughs> well, not, not, for, not due to a ton of carries, just because Ellington is Ellington. Yeah. Yep. He ran his career into the ground, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not as high on Chris, Chris Johnson as you are, but I, I think I am maybe a little higher than the consensus. I have Johnson as my running back 41. Okay. Um, I think part of the reason is because, you know, I do see David Johnson as a huge talent. I think he's going to be getting a lot of receptions. I don't see Chris Johnson catching that many balls either. Um, particularly, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly for PPR. That's a weakness. Um, and speaking of Andre Ellington, while he does get injured a lot, I do think that he's still going to be involved in that, in that offense as well. So it's really kind of a, almost a three headed monster there. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that, that side of it also, um, another year, another year older for, uh, Carson Palmer. And I, I just can't shake how he looked in the playoffs last year, not in the green Bay game, but in the, in the, uh, in the Panthers game, he looked, I, I don't want to say he looked like a scared child, but but he, he did. He, he looked like he didn't know like what he was doing out there. And if, if he can't get over that, like if that's the new Carson Palmer, I mean, they're going to run the football a lot. Yeah. And, and that's the thing with Chris Ivory too. He may not be that dynamic talent. He was in his prime, but he'll, you know, he'll get those yards when, he, when he's called upon, it might be a two, three yard gain, but Bruce Arians knows that he can rely on his guy. All we need is points, not flash. Yeah, that's true, especially with that Arizona defense. Yep. Okay, so there's uh, there's a guy that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, and um, I, I know that some other uh, experts are there have definitely mentioned him, but I love Bilal Powell. Um, he is my running back 39, and I, he, he might even get bumped up higher uh, before we get to week one. Because right as of right now, Matt Forte hasn't practiced in weeks due to a hamstring injury, and Todd Bowles has been pretty evasive when when asked about when Forte is going to return to practice. And I, I think that you know even when Forte does get healthy, he and Powell are going to split time, and the value is there for Powell, who currently has a ninth round ADP, and in the last six regular season games. When the Jets' offense was really clicking, Powell averaged about five carries per game for 30 yards and five catches per game for 50 yards. Uh, certainly, Forte is a capable receiver as well, uh, more than Chris Ivory was last year when he and Powell split that workload. But I still expect Powell to be heavily involved in that New York Jets backfield, and the Jets are paying both he and Forte similar money and I think that Powell could easily be a serviceable flex play or even a low-end RB2 in PPR leagues. Yeah, I I can't disagree with you there. Um, I would shy away from him more in a standard game, um, but I I really have nothing to add um, other than I mean, my next guy. Uh, do you have anything more on Powell? 
No, I mean, I just, I don't understand why he's being so undervalued simply because Matt Forte was a bell cow back in Chicago, and that's not going to be the case anymore in New York. Right. I, I mean, my next guy is is a very similar case, and that's why I, I want to jump in with him, because I, I think they're they're almost mirrored situations. Maybe I'm missing something sure, um, th- that, that they aren't, and that's uh, Charles Sims. Um, he's a guy just like Bilal Powell, who has in a PPR standalone flex value. Um, similarly, he's he's a very solid handcuff for Doug Martin, if, if anything uh, were to go wrong with him, just like you know, Powell to Forte. Um, so, so they both have, you know, potential as startable handcuffs that they're not burning an extra roster spot because you can plug them in uh, to your flex, especially in a PPR and be happy with their production. I and mean, yes, please. I, I want them. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, I love Charles Sims. I have him as my running back 30. I have him uh, ranked above quote unquote starting running backs like Matt Jones and Amir Abdullah. So I, I can totally yeah. get behind you on that. I think, that a lot of people are still undervaluing running backs that catch passes in PPR format. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and I mean, of course, that is the key here. Now, Sims, you know, still interests me in a standard, but but we're speaking PPR. It interests me, but not nearly as much. Sure, uh, we're definitely talking PPR. Uh, a lot of a lot of ranks will change uh, if if we talk about standard. Uh, for example, all these pass catching running backs definitely would uh, drop down a bunch of spots. Exactly. All right. Uh, any more running backs? Uh, actually, yes. And you, you, you name dropped him earlier, and I'm curious to hear a little more about what you think about that. Um, Josh Ferguson, the, the rookie was, well, he wasn't drafted, but signed. Uh, Josh Ferguson signed to Indianapolis to sit behind Frank Gore. Um, Gore, I have faith in. I think he's undervalued this year. But if anything is to go wrong with him, you know, somebody's got to step in and fill that role. Do I necessarily think that Ferguson is, you know, a top talent? I mean, he went undrafted. He, he did go undrafted. But then again, so did Thomas Rawls. Um, he can catch the football. I, I think the opportunity that's there for him uh, appeals to me a, a lot more than necessarily his actual talent. Um, but how, how do you how did you connect him to Latavius Murray? I was curious about that. Oh, I was I was actually comping, uh, you know, DeAndre Washington with Josh Ferguson, uh, in that you know they're more smaller oh, receiving okay. backs. Um, okay. I, again, uh, but I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. With it's more so about the opportunity, right? Because Frank Gore, while he's still chugging along right now, you got to think at some point he's going to start to break down. And exactly. I, it it could be now. It could be never. It won't be never. But somebody's got to replace him. And I mean. Just look at the depth charts. So that that's all that they have there. Yeah, and it's not even necessarily a matter of replacing Frank Gore. Uh, it's more so complimenting him this season, at least. I think that Ferguson could see a good bit of work on third down if he works on his pass protection. And, uh, you know, I've actually been super high on Josh Ferguson as one of my sleepers, and even in Dynasty Leagues dating back to the summer, um, as soon as the Colts signed him, because, uh, for, well, two reasons. Uh, number one... Uh, Josh Ferguson, according to a report that came out of Indianapolis, uh, the Colts actually pegged him as a fourth-round value. It's just that they had other needs, and as he kept dropping, they uh, they hoped that he would continue dropping, and you know they actually paid him a hefty signing bonus uh, as an undrafted free agent. Um, the highest, as a matter of fact, right? Ten thousand dollars. Yeah, Ooh. and uh, you know the Colts definitely are invested in him, maybe not monetarily, but I think that speaks volumes about what they think about him. 
Um, and uh, obviously, a, a little biased here uh, for you know full disclosure to all the listeners, I did attend the University of Illinois. I am a U of I alum, so I've watched plenty of Josh Ferguson while he was at Illinois. Uh, and looking at his tape and watching his games, I actually think that he comps a little bit to Dion Lewis. I think he's got that uh, explosive, dynamic uh, ability after the catch. Um, again, he's he's a, a bit of a smaller running back, so I don't know that he's ever going to be a workhorse or a you know a stud fantasy running back. But I think in PPR leagues, he can certainly have RB two upside uh, given you know that high fi- excuse me that high flying Colts passing offense. Yeah, I, I like it. I love it. Did I? I think I dr- just drafted him in our league, didn't I? You did. You uh, you kind of stole him from me. You you sniped me in our rookie draft. Oh boy, how how do you snipe somebody in round three? I, and that that's another thing. Just go, dating back, going back to the actual NFL draft. Like, how can you be that interested in somebody and like they're not worth a seventh rounder? You you really have needs to fill in the seventh round. Well. Uh... To to be fair, the Colts aren't the greatest team at drafting to begin with, so I would take that with okay. a grain of salt. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. We, we we haven't really seen a whole lot out of their drafts outside of Andrew Luck, to be honest. Hey, I think I'm not going to talk about him this episode, but I do think Philip Dorsett can have a little value with you. Sure. Uh, again, uh, we can go back and forth on that. I think that he was drafted too high in the actual NFL draft, but certainly a, a talented guy too. Yeah, he could also make no impact in either his first or second year as a first rounder. That's that's not a good thing. All right, speaking of wide receivers, why don't you why don't you pull us into that uh, category? Sure, uh, a guy that I really love that I think is a huge value right now in drafts is Kamar Aiken, who I have as my wide receiver thirty five. Okay. Um, and here's why: I mean, Brashad Brashad Perriman has a partially torn ACL. Uh, luckily, it didn't require surgery, but. Uh, it's still his second major knee injury in two years. And then on the other side, you've got Steve Smith, who's, you know, a dinosaur, and he's maybe coming back from a double, ret- excuse me, double ruptured Achilles. And, you know, we saw Perriman struggle last year to return to 100% uh, with that PCL injury. And, you know, they're saying projected week one right now, but uh, realistically, I don't think that Perriman's going to be back week one. And even if he is, he's definitely not going to be up to full speed or, or starting in games over, uh, you know, over Kamar Aiken or even Mike Wallace. Uh, Perriman, to, to begin with, Perriman, even if he is physically healthy, he's still raw with his route running and his timing. And I think that the first few weeks of the season, there's a 100% chance that we see Kamar Aiken and Mike Wallace as the starting running backs in Baltimore. And I think I that Perriman and Smith are still going to be on pup. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, uh, especially early on. I mean, it's sort of guy take a take a late round chance on him, gain some value, and maybe flip him for something. Well, I, I just think that Aiken is going to see a ton of targets, and he's being criminally undervalued right now. He's going in the you know in the tenth round or later in drafts, and to. Well, a quick stat about Kamar Aiken in the eight games after quick Steve stats. Smith. <laughs> quick stats. Um, but yeah, in the last last season in the eight games that he played after Steve Smith suffered his season ending injury, Aiken averaged ten point four targets per game, and he produced uh, at an average game pace of six receptions for seventy six yards and and point four touchdowns per game. And, you know, he's already built up rapport with Flacco, and he should dominate the targets in a pass-happy offense, uh, you know, that's being called by Mark Tressman. 
that's money. I mean, Trustman, Flacco is an, uh, is he above average? Eh, maybe he's average. I don't know. He's a good enough NFL. He's a serviceable NFL quarterback with a good arm, and he he finds the guy who's open. I I think Kamari Aiken is set to have a good year. He was he was actually one of my quote unquote sleepers that uh, when I saw that you had him down there, I was like, hmm, well, crap. Now I've got to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm super high on Kamari Aiken, and I think that everyone should be. I don't know what the issue is here. Yeah, um, to stay in the AFC North, uh, right across right across the yard. Uh, Sammy Coates, I think, uh, I think, although I do think that his uh, number is going to be climbing in drafts as people get closer, realize what the situation is. For now, I still think he's undervalued, um, especially early on. He's another guy where I think he's going to be get a chance to start hot and maybe you can flip him for something better because Bell's going to be out of the game. But Darius Green, unfortunately, one, one of your guys before uh, he who might not be actually being able to play in the NFL now, if, if you hadn't heard, um, he's, uh, he's been held out from what they said for more leg injuries. But the actuality of the thing is, is that he's had frequent headaches and they're worried about um, post-concussive and other brain trauma sort of thing. So, of course, big deal. That, that's a pretty big deal that he might actually not be on the Steelers this year. Um, we know Mark Tavis Bryant is out for the entire year, which basically leaves Antonio Brown, Marcus Wheaton, um, and Sammy Coates. And I know how you feel about Marcus Wheaton. Um, I'm starting to feel that same way about Marcus Wheaton when he let uh, Darius Hayward Bay go and take the reins from him last year. Um, D'Angelo Williams is old. If, if there's a slight chance he breaks down, production has to come from someone. We know it's coming from Antonio. Maybe Sammy Coates also, though. Yeah, I uh, I certainly like Sammy Coates' talent. I, I think physically, you know, he's a specimen. He can just run probably in the top, you know, 99th percentile of wide receivers. He's blazing fast. I yeah. just think that, you know, he's still a little inconsistent. We're getting reports out of camp that Coates is still dropping uh, passes here and there. Um, but, to, you know, to your point, he certainly does have the opportunity there, particularly with, uh, you know, the news about Ladarius Green. Uh, I, I guess I'm just not quite as high as you are on him. I think that we're going to see um, Sammy Coates, Marcus Whedon, and maybe even Darius Hayward Bay kind of switch off week to week on who's going to get that long touchdown. Uh, so I don't think that he's necessarily going to be reliable, but I, I do think that he's going to have value certain weeks. Sure. Uh, to, but, and to me, that's, that's the key when you're looking at sleepers in the wide receiver field. Running back, it's pretty straightforward. You have your starter, you know who the backups are. Wide receiver, there's probably six wide receivers on a team. Sometimes you have a stud, sometimes you just have a conglomeration of guys who can hit it big sometimes, strike it rich other times, and fall completely flat on their face other times. Antonio Brown had some had some dud games last year. That, that's just the reality for some wide receivers. Uh, moving on to another team where there's, there's guys that have opportunities to succeed, um, the, the 49ers. This team is going to be down big a lot of the time. They're going to be having to throw the ball a lot. Uh, I think Bruce Ellington is probably going to come out of that team, uh, come out of this season, have a pretty good year, uh, just especially in a PPR. Somebody's going to have to be catching passes. They can't just run the ball with Carlos Hyde, Mike Davis every time because they're going to be down games and the fans are going to be pretty unhappy if they're not throwing the football. Yeah, I, I certainly like Bruce Ellington, but I, I actually like Torrey Smith a bit more. I think uh, you know people are sort of forgetting about him too after his dismal you know season last year. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely right. But I, I think defenses won't have forgotten about him. He's he's the biggest name wide receiver on the team. So you put put your defense key on him. I mean, if you can shut down somebody, shut him down. Yeah, that's I guess I'm true. sort of grasping at straws there. I, San San Francisco is a terrible terrible offense, but somebody has to like they they need to produce offensive numbers somewhere. Well, here's the thing though. Uh, even if it is a terrible offense NFL-wise, just the sheer number of plays that Chip Kelly's going to run is going to give those offensive skill players tons of fantasy potential. Because again, it comes down to opportunity, and the more you know, the more pass attempts that Blaine Gabbert and or Colin Kaepernick attempt, uh, the more targets and receptions that Torrey Smith and Bruce Ellington are going to get. Yeah, but I mean, how did that work out for Nelson Aguilar? Well, I mean, Aguilar, I think last year was more a product of him being hurt. Um, I think that, you know, Jordan Matthews is a better example who, you know, I don't think that Matthews is a phenomenal talent, but we've seen him produce uh, in the last couple of years simply because of the opportunity there. Yeah, I'm like talking myself out of Bruce Ellington now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You you know, while we're on the Niners real quick, I just want to say that they're actually a a sleeper quote-unquote defense for me, and we're not going to really talk too much about defense or kicker on on you know on this podcast on any podcast <laughs> correct uh but again uh the philadelphia defense with chip kelly uh they were not good they lost a ton of games but due to again the offense running so many plays it left the defense out there on the field a ton and even if they'd allowed plenty of points uh you know that was just more opportunities for them to get sacks or fumbles or interceptions as well oh okay Okay, I, I see where you're coming from. I don't hate it. All right, uh, any more wide receivers that you want to talk about here? Uh, yeah, I, I've got two more jotted down. I mean, I've got a bunch of wide receivers down, but just two more to hit on. Um, if you want to talk about a lotto ticket of all lotto tickets, he he was this last year, he, he is this year, he'd probably flame out, and then I'll tout him again next year as, as a lotto ticket. Doriel Greenbeckham, um, he's, he's running with the second string team right now. There's some... You know, some writers are saying this is to get Doriel Greenbeckham, you know, motivated or something. I don't know about any of that. To me, you put your first team out there with your first team so that they can practice together. Um, but Tejay Sharp, the rookie that's running with the first team, he's he's pedestrian at best as, as a as a wide receiver in the NFL. Um, this is a run first team. That's another thing that's going to keep Doriel Greenbeckham's uh, value down to probably levels of undrafted, if not last last two rounds or something like that. Uh, they're going to run with DeMarco Murray, Derek Henry, David Cobb, whoever they're, they're going to run the football a ton, Marcus Mariota, but they're also going to be down big time. These are, this is not a good team. Um, they're going to need to score points similarly to San Francisco. Um, and if anybody can do it, it's Doyle Greenbeckham. He's, he's far and away the most talented receiver on this team um this is the ultimate lottery ticket where i mean you're you're spending literally a dollar he's undrafted or last rounder and he could either you know you lose your money or he could be you know wide receiver two for you who knows man uh, i don't know about you but it sounds to me like you just made a lot of arguments against doriel green beckham but, but if you're spending absolutely nothing on him i mean his his talent speaks for itself I mean that that's that's the definition of a sleeper to me. Sure, no one no one can argue that he doesn't have Calvin Johnson upside. He's that kind yeah. of physical talent. Um, I, I guess for me, you know, if if he hasn't put it together yet, certainly I'm not giving up on him in dynasty leagues. But for redraft this year, I don't really necessarily want any part of him. 
Um, I think I have him down, you know, wide receiver 60 or so. For me, you know, what you said, he's running with the second team offense. I think that by this point in the preseason, um, if he were making strides, he would be with the first team by now. And personally, I think that that offense, uh, at least the passing offense, is still going to run through Delaney Walker. I think that's uh, Mariota's number one guy, so to speak. And I actually don't hate Rashard Matthews. You know, he showed flashes at Miami, and, you know, certainly they signed him for a reason. And I think that I don't really want any other part of the offense outside of uh, those two receivers. Yeah, I'm just saying click the little flag this player or the star, depending on whichever, you know, platform you play fantasy on. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly worse lotto tickets out there. I, I guess he's just not one of my guys. And, sure. Uh, I certainly now the exact opposite of, of a, of a lotto ticket is, is one guy, uh, Anquan Bolden. Anquan Bolden is still, you know, one of the best receivers to play. Yeah, maybe not best receivers to play the game, but he's employed now. He's with the lions. He's going to be in a high octane offense where they're throwing the football a lot. Um, if you need a bi-week fill in something like that, I think he, I know he said don't get bi-week fill-ins, but I, I think he's more than a bi-week fill-in. I think he's going to be a consistent source of 8 to eight to 12 points weekly if, if you need that sort of guy to fill in your roster. Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to depend on how you feel about Detroit's offense. I think the opportunities there certainly can be a safety blanket type player for a guy like Matthew Stafford. Um, I just think that there's going to be so many of those short to intermediate targets getting split up between Eric Ebron and Theo Riddick, that while Bolden is going to see opportunity in the slot, I don't think it's going to be as much as he would, uh, you know, say, you know, back when he was in Baltimore with Joe Flacco, where, you know, he was Flacco's guy on third down. Sure. Um, Ebron just hasn't really shown me much at all over his career just yet. I, I do still like him, but I'm just not, not sold on him just yet. And Marvin Jones, he's been a guy that's constantly, I think the past two years, two, three years been, been, they've said, Oh, must own, you know, Oh, watch out for him this week. And I've just been waiting for him to do something. I I've never been impressed by Marvin Jones. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that Bolden is going to be the number three receiver for sure behind, you know, Jones and Golden Tate. Uh, but again, I just I just see enough balls spread around there by Matthew Stafford that even though uh, Bolden's price is super cheap, I don't know that I'm going to be owning him anywhere. It's it's just a matter of what you're looking for. If you're if you don't want if you're not the type of guy that wants to stack your team with lotter tickets and you want somebody to give you consistent production, I think he's a good name for you. Sure, and I guess part partially is more so draft strategy, where all mo most of my lotto tickets in the later rounds for me personally are going to be running backs, not wide receivers. Um, Absolutely, yeah, I, I I agree also. Okay, um, but yeah, I mean, I I agree that Bolden's going to have value, and I think he's going to have maybe like three or four games where he'll suddenly explode for maybe like five catches, sixty yards, and a touchdown. Uh, but I just don't see consistent production, even even from a guy who's going to see a lot of slot targets from Stafford. Yeah, he, he's wily. He'll he'll know how to abuse young defenders. <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but okay. <laughs> it means he knows how to position himself on a football field. He knows the right moves. Ah, okay. Gotcha there, Grandpa. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, I actually, I'm kind of glad that you brought up Anquan Bolden because uh, speaking of 
Uh, let's move on from Anquan Bolden, a former third down option for Joe Flacco, to a current uh, third down option. Oh, and that is tight end Benjamin Watson. Smooth. And I'm about to go off on a semi-long rant here, so bear with me, please, uh, both to Los and our listeners here, because I have Ben Watson as my tight end number nine, and I consistently see him going undrafted in a ton of drafts. And I think that that is mind-blowing because I, I simply don't understand it. We, you know, I touched on Kamar Aiken earlier, but Ben Watson, this is a guy who finished last season as the tight end in number eight in PPR. Uh, of course, he's no longer with Drew Brees, but Joe Flacco also relies heavily on his tight end as his check-down option and as his third-down go-to. And especially with Steve Smith not ready to come back yet, uh, you know, we've got Crockett Gilmore, who had off-season sol- sh- excuse me, shoulder surgery. And more recently, Gilmore's been sidelined, too, with a hamstring issue. Max Williams, in his second year, still not a great blocker. And while I certainly hope that Dennis Pitta can return, he's a talented guy, I'm not holding out hope for that because he's had, you know, consistent injury issues since that hip surgery a couple years ago. Ben Watson is far and away the most complete tight end on that Baltimore Ravens roster, and he'll be the starter. Uh, Last year was a disaster for the Ravens with injuries on both sides of the ball, but, you know, tallying up the totals here, Baltimore quarterbacks threw the ball 676 times, and then their tight ends combined for 85 catches, 850 yards, and five touchdowns last year, and that would have been good enough for the tight end six in PPR. So, even though Watson's going to split time with Max Williams or Gilmore when, they, when they're healthy, Watson's going to stay on the field for the majority of the snaps here. And given how lacking Baltimore is at the wide receiver position, they may even opt to run more two tight end sets this year. At the end of the day, they signed Watson for a reason, and I think he's going to be targeted early and often. And, oh, if you want to get really detailed here, Nick Boyle and Darren Waller, the number five and six tight ends on that Baltimore depth chart, they're both suspended to start the season. So it's basically (laughs) the Ben Watson show in Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, I think people shouldn't forget what what Mark Trussman did to Martellus Bennett. Martellus Bennett was, you know, a high, high up, you know, talented, but never great tight end. And even though Martellus Bennett seems to have a revisionist history of his time in Chicago, if you saw that <laughs> interview he did with his brother, um, yeah. Mark Trussman turned Martellus Bennett into a pro bowler. Yeah. Uh, again, it boils down to opportunity plus talent. And I think that Watson has both, and I have no idea why he's going undrafted. I, I think that he is the definition of a sleeper by your standards. Yeah. I, I didn't even realize, cause I, Admittedly, haven't looked that deeply into tight ends, but now that I'm looking at a few different sites as draft boards and, and averages, and he's he's not even, he's after 20, he's gone. I don't understand it. Yeah, this is a guy who I, I think is firmly inside my top 10. And I, again, I don't know if maybe I'm the insane one and, and you know, I'm looking out the window of the asylum, you know, wondering why people are walking around on the sidewalk in suits when I'm, you know, smearing poop on the walls, but... I, I think <laughs> I think that Ben Watson is gold, and I just I think I'll own him in every single league this year. You likely will, because uh, I mean we could get into this in a later uh, later discussion, but that's that's half of the way to win is abusing draft boards and abusing preset uh, draft. Uh, I can't think of the right word, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think what you were trying to say, but very unelegantly failing at, was uh, don't be a slave to ADP. <laughs> yes, basically. Uh, <laughs> I prefer to be more eloquent than elegant, but what do I know? You know what? I, I don't need to hear it from you, all right? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so anybody else that you want to touch on here? We still got a little bit of time. No, I mean, when, when you asked me for a sleeper at tight end, I... I I was like, well, I mean, you you need one of them on your team only, unless in you're some sort of really exotic league, two tight end league. That would be some. That would be a discussion for for another future idea. Um, but you need ten, twelve of them. I, I, what, right, what's I mean, left? We don't, uh, and we yeah, don't... Ben Watson should be there. He should be top twelve. That I don't understand. So, but past that, nah. There's there's nothing out there. Dwayne Allen, nah. Okay. Well, we don't have to uh, stick to tight end necessarily. We can, you know, real briefly touch on uh, a few running backs who have been getting some press lately, and get, uh, the hype train might be starting a little bit again with Kristen Ooh. Michael. How do you feel about that? About Kristen Ooh. Michael. Oh, Kristen Michael. Oh no. Okay. So I didn't realize we were going here. So I am not excited about the running back situation in Seattle whatsoever this year. I think Thomas Rawls is overrated in a PPR and in a standard. I think it's going to be a committee back there. And if Rawls goes down, Christian Michael doesn't excite me. CJ Persisi doesn't excite me. They're going to be, they're going to be cannibalizing each other. And I think they're going to cannibalize Thomas Rawls to begin with. Nobody in that backfield is Marshawn Lynch. Additionally, they found Pete Carroll has found that, Hey, Russell Wilson can find wide receivers. Doug Baldwin is set for recession, of course. No 14-touchdown season, but they're going to throw the ball to him. Tyler Lockett is also undervalued, although looking at certain draft boards, I, he's, he's probably getting drafted at the right spot, but people forget about him uh, when they're thinking about the Seattle offense. I, I just think that we're getting back towards a more balanced offense. They're not going to run the ball as much as they did with Marshawn Lynch. All right, I just want to back up like 30 seconds. Did you just call CJ Procise CJ Procisi? <laughs> it's my accent, okay? <laughs> okay. I think that's the worst butchering I've heard thus far of CJ Procise's name, but I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. That First of not... all, do you know Mr. and Mrs. Procisi? Did they tell you that that's not how to say the name? Yeah, actually, we're, uh, we're poker buddies, so, uh, you know... He's oh. not very happy Well, I guess about... he used his poker face when he told you the wrong pronunciation of his last name. <laughs> okay. Uh, butchering names aside, um, I, I do think that you have a point there. Certainly, I think that I'm treating certain backfields uh, like Seattle's uh, with, you know, kind of just a lot of caution because really it could be any of those guys or it could be none of those guys. And, and I think that it's far-fetched that you would own them anywhere outside of a very deep league. Um, and I do think that it's going to be a committee approach there. That being said, I, I've always been a fan of Kristen Michael's talent. The reports out of camp seem to all indicate that he's matured quite a bit and is taking things very seriously. Uh, I want to believe, I think that right now, his ADP is still low enough that he's worth taking a shot on. Uh, but certainly I can understand if you want to avoid that Seattle backfield altogether. I, I do think that Thomas Rawls is a little bit overrated in drafts right now. Yeah. What, what's, what's matured him is his time in Dallas with uh, Joe Randall. <laughs> 
Uh, you know, that's a, that's a very valid point, and I have no rebuttal for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but similarly, uh, w- would you also say then that you're also, you know, kind of shying away from Terrence West, given, you know, how confusing that whole Baltimore situation is? Yeah, I mean, I I think if you're going after Forsett, you, you've got to keep a keen eye on what's going on with Terrence West. But yes, absolutely. Between Dixon and Allen and West and, and, uh, and who's the start of Forsett, it's just way too confusing as to what's going on. If there was a clearer picture and if there becomes a clearer picture by the time week three, week four, the preseason rolls around, I may change my tune. I mean, you, you can't, you can't be set on things. I mean, you've got to, you've got to adapt yourself. Otherwise you're going to lose. That's uh that's very wise, Lewis. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, okay, so yeah, are there anybody, uh, you know, anybody else that you've seen flashes of in the preseason that you want to bring up, or just in general, any any darlings that you kind of just love? Sure, uh, just a couple other things uh, to talk about. Running backs. I mean, running backs are always the the big hot topic of fantasy football, mostly because the best ones oftentimes get injured, and if you don't have the handcuff, you don't have the right guy to talk about. If you don't have him stashed. And somebody else, you know, scoops him out from under you. You're either going to pay a hefty fee, or you're going to wash your team just sort of wash away from from the beach right into the ocean. I don't know what metaphor that is, but I think I just came up with my own. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna compile a book of uh, losisms. <laughs> Excellent. It, it it will not sell at all. Uh, you don't know that. We can always try. It's all about marketing, right? Sure. Uh, I was curious. <laughs> I was back to football. I was curious as to abruptly back to football. I was curious as to what your uh, thoughts were about the Dallas situation. I know Ezekiel Elliott is your top running back off the board. You you're probably taking him as high as what pick five, pick six, or something. But what are you doing about him? Get what are you doing about his handcuff? Are you just saying eh, forget about it, or are you going after Run DMC? Are you thinking about Al Morris? Yeah, so here's my general uh, philosophy this year for handcuffs, quote-unquote. And that is, if there is a running back situation, and I'll give some examples of, of both types uh, right after this, but so I, I think that it falls into two camps. I'm willing to grab a handcuff if I think that if the starter were to go down that they would get the bulk of the work. But in the case of Zeke, uh, in Dallas, I think that if it's a very muddled situation as to what would happen if he got injured, I'm avoiding that situation altogether. Because in that case, I don't know whether it would be Alfred Morris or Darren McFadden. I think the likely scenario is that they would split that work. And in that case, I don't think that either of them are going to be very fantasy relevant because of that split workload. Um, yeah, I I think I pretty much I, I agree with you. That's how I've that's how I've approached every year, and I haven't necessarily drafted handcuffs for my own running backs, but I go ahead and scoop up other people's handcuffs because I've got a little bit of asshole in. <laughs> I think that uh, that really depends. I don't I don't know that I'm necessarily targeting other players' handcuffs, um, but I'll, I'll give you an example here. Uh, let, let me find my rankings. Okay, sure. so for example, I have D'Angelo Williams as my number 30 running back and Charles Sims as my number 31 running back. Sure. So even in that scenario, um, if I had drafted Doug Martin early on in the draft, I would most likely 
draft Charles Sims given those two options because I have them ranked so closely together. However, I have guys like Arian Foster uh, ranked a little bit below. And I think that in, in the case of if I were to have drafted Jay Ajayi and it came down to that point in the draft, I would still get Charles Sims or D'Angelo Williams, even as an Ajayi owner, because I think that they are more valuable players. Are you, sorry, this is a slight, slight uh, offshoot, but are you drafting Ajayi over Foster? I am. I know that you disagree with that. Wow, yes, wildly, but that's okay. Um, but you see my point. Yes, I, I, I definitely take to your point. Um, there's just a few, like, I guess this, the Kansas city situation has been a set, you know, we, we know what's going on at, at the handcuff. It's been Niall Davis forever. And then it became Sharkandrick West. And now that's, that's a muddled situation. That's, that's a handcuff to avoid. Is it West? Is it where West is more comparable to, to Niall or to, uh, to Jamal Charles, of course, but where was looking pretty effective. Yeah, I think that's actually an instance uh, which you could grab either or because we saw last year that both were productive after Charles went down. And I think yeah. that in PPR, I think I would still want West, but I think that Ware would get more goal line opportunities in that situation. Um, but certainly there's no definitive handcuff there. Right. Now, the other time where I'm not too excited about getting a handcuff is is when there is a clear starting back, there is a clear backup, but the backup just isn't very exciting. Um, I partially got into this when I was looking into the Steelers situation, um, and I was thinking, well, D'Angelo Williams, I mean, Carolina did let him go, and and he is 33 years old. Now, he's, of course, automatically starting the first four games, but if something were to happen to him, or if he, if the age started to creep up on him, I mean, Fitzgerald Toussaint, like really the opportunity will be there. But if, you know, if something happens to Williams, that'll be his backfield or Jordan Todman, I guess we, we've, we don't know who's going to have the job, who's, who's going to have the RB three spot. But like, even if they get the job, even if they're the starting running back, I, I don't really want any part of them. Yeah. And I think that in general, um, I shoot for uh, more running back handcuffs who would have some, some kind of standalone value, um, to your point, uh, such as a Charles Sims or, um, you know, Powell. some sure. And Powell and those guys, whereas I guess for me is the perfect example would be David Johnson last year. Uh, a okay. lot of people were talking about how talented he was and, how all he needed was the opportunity in Arizona, and lo and behold, Chris Johnson gets injured late in the year. David Johnson, I'm sure, was on a ton of championship rosters. But my question is how many of those people picked him up off the waiver wire because whoever drafted uh, David Johnson had dropped him by week six. Absolutely. So I, I guess for me, uh, you know, a, a running back handcuff might be super talented, but at the end of the day, if you're playing in a relatively shallow roster league, I don't know if it's even worth drafting them because then you're basically kind of notifying the rest of your league about them if they don't particularly pay attention to those kind of sleepers. Whereas, uh, you know, unless they have an immediate shot to contribute, you can kind of let them sit on the waiver wire and then bid big for them once they do become relevant. Yeah, I just... It... <sighs> I always find it find trouble with bidding big because I maybe it's maybe it's my own uh, that I haven't bid 
bitted big enough. Wow, this is a lot of D's and B's, and I can't say these words with with uh, with with my speech. And I don't have a speech impediment. I don't talking about. Um, we're getting very theoretical here right now. This is this is new ground for the fantasy football addicts podcast, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's an important topic though, because I think a lot of times overarching strategy can be more important than specific players. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in looking into like D'Angelo Williams and things like that, I also came across like I, Todd Gurley is a phenomenal running back and he needs to have a handcuff very clearly, but his handcuff would be Benny Cunningham. And I, I just don't, who is going to go out there and, and own Benny Cunningham? Uh, the correct answer, Alex, would be no one. Right? They need a backup running back more than anybody in the world. Yeah, you know, I actually kind of like Malcolm Brown. Um, you know, he, he came out of Texas, and I, I've watched some tape on him, and I like him, and I think that if he gets the opportunity, he might be the guy to own if anything mm-hmm. were to happen to Todd Gurley. Um, but again, you know, you're certainly not drafting him because there's so much uncertainty there because Cunningham would definitely see a good portion of the work as well. Right. He's 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 a good passing down back. So, yeah, I guess for me, these are these are the small you know, issues that would separate certain top tiered running backs. For example, you know, uh, like Adrian Peterson, we know Jarek McKinnon's the guy. Right. right. Mark Ingram, we know Tim Hightower's the guy. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Coleman. Sure. And the, the, the thing is with once you get to guys like LaShawn McCoy, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Carlos Williams, Jonathan Williams, Mike Gillisley? We just don't know. Yeah. Um, similarly with Carlos Hyde, you know, is it going to be some combination of Sean Drone, Mike Davis? Again, we don't know. Those are muddled situations. Does and, that even matter? <laughs> right. And arguably <laughs> that that's why it makes guys like Doug Martin and Mark Ingram and guys who have very, very specific handcuffs, even more valuable because you can target those guys later in your draft. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way that the league has shifted is forcing these more in-depth thoughts and conversations between every running back you select for your team. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you just know that none of it's going to matter because some small school running back who is undrafted, who is fifth on the depth chart is suddenly going to just explode onto the scene and win people's leagues. That's right. At the end of the day, strategy is great to discuss and great to follow your strategy. But you know, if you can pick the right players, any strategy works really. That's right. You've got to listen to your heart. Yeah, just, you know, have faith in the players. Mm-hmm. Be the draft. Be one with fantasy football. Mm-hmm. All right, I think that is going to do it for our show today. Uh, we hope that, uh, you know, you'll take a shot on some of these players that we talked about earlier. And, uh, you know, as we get into uh, draft season, feel free, as always, to shoot us any questions you might have on Twitter. Uh, as always, I am at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. And I'm at FFA underscore Los, L-O-S. And, of course, feel free to give a shout-out, say hello, say thanks for doing such a great job to at FFA underscore Dan, D-A-N, Dan, always doing a great job for us. Super producer Dan Green. Thank you very much, my friend. Um, had a great time talking fantasy football again, as always. Um, Next time, until next time, I know we had a sort of like a mellow winding down. It, it, 
getting theoretical and everything. I, I sort of liked it. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly we, we like to get off the rails a lot. And uh, I feel like uh, a, a great quote that I've heard is that preseason is a lot like whose line is it anyway, where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Was that, was that a quote from a one Mung Sung? Uh, maybe. I, I, I think I've heard it before uh, in relation, but uh, I'll certainly take credit for that. But uh, I, I, think you, I think you should take credit where credit's due. All right. Well, regardless, preseason is still fun to watch, and you can certainly uh, learn about uh, a lot of rookies and uh, you know back-of-the-depth chart sort of guys for your Dynasty Leagues if any of you do play Dynasty. So, uh, as always, uh, it's been fun. It's been a blast, and uh, it's a fantasy world, and we're all just addicts in it. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast. Thanks, addicts. The first person to survive Alzheimer's disease is out there. They're going to hold on to everything the disease steals away. And the Alzheimer's Association is going to make it happen by funding research, advancing public policy, and spurring scientific breakthroughs. And by providing local support to those living with the disease and their caregivers, we're easing the burden until we accomplish our goal. But we won't get there without you. Visit ALZ.org to join the fight. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.